This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. I'm Mary Goulet. Steve Olsher is out. You were waiting for him to come on the air, huh? I was waiting for him to come on the air. I'm so used to him doing that introduction. So welcome. Hi, Richard. Hello. I love your hair. Thank you. This is when you want video. Right. Well, we have the lights in here. We've got three cameras. Hi, Wade. Okay, so... Are we doing New Media Minute, or are we going straight into an interview? Right into the guest. Can't, I couldn't wait, so I was like, no, let's do the guest okay. first. Let's. So we have a guest, Tom Singer. Wade, do you want to bring him up? Keynote speaker. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mary. Hi, Richard. Hi, Tom. How's it going? I'm doing great. So you're stuck with the A-team today. Don't. Well, you know, I mean, who, who, who wants to be interviewed by Steve when you've got you guys? <laughs> he'll, take any, he'll take anyone, you know, so it's like you might as well just get straight to us. He'll, if the pizza guy walked in delivering a pizza, he'd say, hey, you want to get on air? Yeah. That's how I he got would, on, by would. the way. That's right. Okay, so, Tom, um, I'm a professional speaker. Richard's a speaker. Tell us your angle of, one, you're a speaker, but then what else are you doing? Are you training other speakers? You know, I, for the most part, I kind of have what they call a traditional speaker model. I, I get paid to go and speak at conferences, and I was at a – a podcaster's conference, and I was talking to a podcaster. He's like, yeah, but how do you make your money? And I said, well, I get paid a fee to come and be the keynote speaker. And he goes, oh, that model's dead. And I said, for God's sake, don't tell my clients that. <laughs> right? uh, that's what I've been doing for the last nine years. So, so your name sounds super familiar to me. Were you, I'm like uh, a bad penny, Mary. I keep showing up everywhere. <laughs> uh, he's familiar to me because I listen to podcasts, and uh, you're forgetting you sat next to him a couple times. Yeah, I was at the New Media Summit. Okay. <laughs> but then I want to – have you ever been a part of the National Speakers Association? Oh, I'm, very, I'm actually very involved with the National Speakers Association. I tell everybody I never would have been able to build a speaking career if it wasn't for it because I, I, this business looks so bizarre from the outside and you sort of fill in the blanks and think, think what it was. And so nine years ago when I started, I joined the National Speakers Association. And the association's great and they had good education, but what really happened is I made a bunch of friends who have really showed me the ropes of how to make this a successful and, and sort of profitable business. And I was able to walk away from my corporate job and, and just okay, well, because of NSA. Richard's going to ask you a question, and then I have a follow-up one. Oh, you can go oh, okay. if, if it goes with that. My question is, give me the backstory because I was in NSA for years and years and years. Um, it is hard. You know, you have the top people – the old school people that really carry the conventions and sell their programs and everything. And then you have the new pe- the middle people that are getting some gigs, um, trying to con- get their craft going more and more. And then you have the newbies who come in with their uh, stars in their eyes and they really look up to everyone. We're, how did you get from the newbie nine years ago into really making a living as you are now? Well, there was a lot of, God, there were so many pieces to it, but I was the guy who showed up with stars in my eyes, right? So I had a background, I had spent nearly 20 years in sales and marketing, and when you're in sales and marketing, 
you go to a lot of conferences, and the conferences always have speakers, and sometimes they're from your industry, and sometimes they're you know, motivational speakers or, or best-selling authors. But there was always this crop of people who, they, they weren't famous, but they were really good at what they were doing, and they were you know, really motivational and really got me excited about what I was doing. And I started thinking, wait a minute, that's a better job than I have. And I ended up becoming the marketing director for a law firm. And the managing partner said to me, and this is like 15 years ago, the managing partner said, you know, you're really well-connected in the community. The lawyers stink at actually doing business development. That's why we hired you. You're really good. I was, I was the marketing and biz dev guy for the law firm. He said, I want you to create a class for the lawyers on how to network, on how to get engaged with organizations and people in our community. And I literally thought, Mary, they're going to fire me. Like the, the last thing the lawyers want is an hour-and-a-half-long class with no continuing education CLE credit where they're mandated to go by the managing partner. And at the end of this 90-minute seminar, one of the partners raised his hands and said, I have a complaint. And I literally worked there like a month. I'm like, this is how we do it in a law firm. We just throw the speaker under the bus in front of all 80 people in the room. <laughs> you know, thanks a lot. Right. It was Ronnie. Like, thanks, Ronnie. Go, go ahead. And he literally said, this is the best training I've ever been to in 15 years practicing law. This should have been three different classes. You should have gone deeper, not just a one-time thing. And he goes, in fact, I'm going to ask you to do two more classes for the associates that are report to me. The other partners can send their people if they want. But I want you to create a training program that goes deeper about what this whole thing's about. And then he went back to his office and he called the managing partner of all nine offices in the firm, each of them, and said, you've got to have our new marketing person come and teach this class. And so that sort of kicked off. I didn't know it at the time, but that, I'd never given a speech really before. That sort of kicked it off. And I spent the next four years with these lawyers. We went, I was in two different firms with them. And part of my job was to do this training. And then the lawyers started giving me to their clients when they would have like a team meeting, a sales meeting, or an annual kickoff for the whole company. And people started saying, why do you work for the lawyers? Why don't you just go do this? And so I kind of got the bug that I wanted to do it. But it was when I showed up at the National Speakers Association and looked around. The trick was I couldn't cop the mistake I think a lot of people make is they show up and they want to be like Tony Robbins or whoever the celebrity is that they admire. And they start thinking, yeah, that's the speaking business. That's what I want to be. And they sort of stalk the celebrities. They start sniffing around. You know, Back in my day, it was Brian Tracy or the guys from Chicken Soup for the Soul or whatever. The problem is those people aren't – their job's not to discover new talent. I mean, it happens once in a while, but usually it's like kind of like, go away, kid, you bother me. The other problem is, though, is that they, you know, they don't really think – what I did is I looked for people who were like me, who were new to the business, who had some potential, and I made friends with them. And we sort of grew up together, and it's really interesting. Like my four or five closest friends in the business, we all made it. And I think one of the reasons we made it is – None of us were stalking the celebrities. All of us were honest about how hard the business was. And we all engaged with each other and opened up doors for each other and, and told each other how we did things. So my, my value from NSA, and, and if I was a plumber, I would be part of the National Plumbers Association. Exactly. But I think, I think the value that comes from associating with people in your industry isn't that the association gets you any gigs, because NSA really hasn't gotten me any gigs, but it's that if you associate with the right people, then all the, all the answers come to you. So that's my, my sort of answer is I got lucky. I ended up with the right sort of circle of friends, and we all grew up together. So what is the profile of your typical client? So I, I started off speaking for, uh, and, and of course, I, I launched my full-time business April 1st, 2009, which uh, arguably was the bottom of the worst recession in 60 years, right? I mean, right. It was 
April 2009 was about as bad as it could be. I got laid off from a corporate marketing job for a consulting firm that I worked for, and I decided I would go for it. And my thought was I would do half corporate, maybe some law firm training because I had that background, but half company and half association because associations have national conferences. Well, the companies weren't doing any training. All the internal meetings were canceled 2009, 10, 11, even into 12 because of the state of the economy. Nobody was doing that. But the associations continued to have their annual meetings, but their budgets were cut. Well, I was new. I was willing to do this for $1.95 and a chicken dinner. And so that's how I started with speaking to associations. And that's pretty much what I've done for the last nine years. In the last 12 to 18 months, some of my topics have, have morphed a little, and corporations are now bringing me in to speak to their sales teams and their annual meetings. So uh, in 2018, my half, my half and half business probably will happen. I'm still very engaged with the association world. Like I said, if I was a locksmith, I'd be in the locksmith association. I'm, I'm a real big believer in what associations do. But about half my business is now finally corporate because I think that the recession is gone. Money's good. People are doing all types of meetings. And my topic uh, about helping your team get more to their closer to their potential uh, resonates a lot with with companies. So I have sort of two uh, sort of two worlds I speak in. Yeah, Tom. I, this is Richard. I have two questions, but first I want to say I'm a huge fan of cool things entrepreneurs do. Your podcast. Thank the you. other things you. The other one of the cool things this entrepreneur does, Tom Singer. Um, so also. I think your your website sums it up pretty darn fast. You know, it doesn't take long to know when you stand next to Tom Singer. Like, I I can't wait. Are you coming again to next New Media? New Media Summit? Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. Awesome. Because right I can't wait to talk to you more. There were a few times I wanted to interrupt you, but it was hard when you are these five words that are on your website, TomSinger.com, with Tom with H-T-H-O-M. Singer.com. High energy, engaging, purposeful, funny, and interactive. That pretty much sums it all up, but it probably feels weird to just say those five things if someone asks you what you are, huh? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting because when I, when I created that, uh, the, the website about a year and a half ago, uh, I interviewed like 20 of my clients and I said, give me a word that I could put on my website that sums me up. And, and I got, there were several words, but those five words just contained, those were like not even a questionable, they all bubbled to the top. Of course. And it was, it was easier because somebody else came up with them, right? I mean, somebody else came up and said, you know, oh, he's funny. I mean, if I called up and said, hi, I'm a speaker and I'm funny, you know, then I'm setting the tone that I had better be a comic and I'm not. I, mean, I don't bill myself as a humorist. But, but you but, are. But audience you could will put that laugh. quote underneath there. Go ahead. These are all answers from my clients. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so going a little deeper and kind of reading between the lines on a comment you made when you're uh, with Mary there, when you're talking about different levels of business, what could you hear from different people go in, start talking for free or that model's dead. Right. But obviously there's a lot of gray in a black and white picture. Right. And so right. so you got programs, you got. Cool things that entrepreneur cool things that entrepreneurs do. I didn't do my vocal warm ups before we started the show. Um, and but when it comes to doing the speaking, since that's what this show is about, where's that sweet spot in the business for someone that's done the work? They've worked on their craft. They're past the eighty percent part, and they're working on the twenty percent mastery, and they're ready to start charging people 
from the target market customer out there, I know each vertical is going to be a little different. Is there a number or a size in the business where they're taking chances in a different way, where they have money set aside for something like that? Or what, what, what's the sweet spot you look for? Well, so when I started, it was the recession. And, and the, the good news was is that my topic, my, my original topic that I started speaking about is how do you get more engaged, right? How do you network? Well, when I first was poking around the business, people said, well, you can't speak about networking because everybody knows that. Every, there's a whole bunch of speakers who speak on it, and it's kind of a fluffy topic. You have to have something very driven and all this stuff. And the reality was when the recession hit, everybody out there was looking for jobs. Associations had tons of members who had lost their jobs. And do you know how, during the recession, the people who were getting jobs were finding them? Network. It was through their network. Yeah. But isn't so it interesting, sudden- Tom, isn't it interesting how in everyone has an opinion, and you really got to stay true to who you are and what you feel and know best? Well, and- as, as, long as, as long as you, you know, can observe and verify that you're right. I mean, sometimes my opinions are wrong, but the interesting thing was, was that as the recession hit, the topic of networking was if it was if it was newly invented. I'd written my book several years before the recession, and you know it sold some. But as soon as you know, uh, my first two books—one was called *The ABCs of Networking* and one was called *Some Assembly Required: How to Make, Grow, and Keep Your Business Relationships*. The recession hit, and the sales on those books went through the roof. They were a couple years old, but all of a sudden they started to sell like crazy because the only way to get a job was through connections. Now, what I find funny is as the as the economy is better less people want to hire somebody to come in and talk about networking. Well, that's when you need it, right? You've right. you got to dig that well before you're thirsty. If you wait until you get laid off and think, well, now I better go network, well, you're going to have six months or a year before you get a job. But I was laid off several times in my corporate marketing life, and every time I got laid off, I had a new job within like two to three weeks, and often I didn't make an outbound call. And the reason for that was I was really well connected in the community, and when I was let go, other companies would be like, well, we should create a job for them. And that happened several times, and, and you know, that's how I ended up with the law firm. And they're like, well, wait a minute, why did we hire you? Maybe you should write a class about it. And so you know, that, that led to that. But going back to, to Richard's question, you know, the first thing about if somebody wants to be a speaker, and you know, I, you're, I love the name of your show because it's Reinvention Radio. I do feel that nine years ago I reinvented my life because I was a corporate sales and marketing guy, but I had my ladder against the wrong wall. I was good at it. I was successful. People created jobs for me a couple of times. But the reality was I was answering to people who didn't share the same philosophy I did. I just didn't feel I was in the right place. And so that analogy of the ladder against the wrong wall resonates because I was climbing the ladder, and I was going higher and higher, and I was getting more miserable. And so nine years ago, I reinvented, started my own thing, became a solopreneur, uh, started hanging out with entrepreneurs and people who were growing out their own businesses, and, and all of a sudden it was like I found my life. And then I got involved with NSA, and I found sort of well, my joke is my people. And uh, the the trick is from the outside looking in, though, this world of being a professional speaker, whatever, however you want to define that, it's not one thing. It's about twenty things. And the problem is, is we look at the celebrities. We look at Colin Powell. I think he gets one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a speech. Bill Clinton, I think, gets like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a speech. Barack Obama was just paid four hundred thousand dollars to give a speech. Those people aren't in the same business I am. I've never been the leader of the free world, so it, it's not even a thing. Nobody ever calls up and says, "Gee, should we hire Bill Clinton or Tom Singer?" No, it, it's not. It, I mean, that will never happen. I've given seven hundred professional speeches over the last decade plus because I, I did it part time before I was full time, but I've given seven hundred talks and only one time. Has it ever come down to me and a suit and a celebrity? 
it literally was an association, and they, they, they had a $25,000 budget. So I would have been a steal because I didn't charge that much. I wasn't anywhere near that. I'm still not. Don't charge that much. And I was newer, but their CEO really liked me. He'd seen me speak at a conference. So I made it to the final cut. The other person they were choosing between was Biz Stone, who is one of the founders of Twitter. And I'm like, how did we ever get to Tom Singer <laughs> and Biz Stone? And Biz Stone was going to cost $25,000, and I was going to cost less, way less than half of that. And I'm like, how are we having this discussion? And guess who they picked? You. Biz Stone. No. Yeah. So <laughs> the one time, the one time I ever was in business against a celebrity, I lost because I was, ne- I never should have been there anyway. You know, they were looking for someone who had cachet and a name and, you know, I'm sure you he was still have celebrity in my eyes, Tom. I, I appreciate that. Man, but, a but it's, no, I told you already. I'm a fan of his podcast. <laughs> okay. I listen to his but, show. I like it. But, but to answer his question, so there's so many different businesses. So sometimes people tell me they want to speak to, for free to sell their coaching product or, or, or their online course or whatever. And that's a great model if it works for you. But the places I speak, I'm not allowed to even talk about my books half the time. They, 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 my clients are very clear that I'm not there to sell anything. I'm not there to collect email addresses. I'm not there to you know, get them on my mailing list. So I have to be compensated with money from them. The, the trade-off from that large compensation of money is I'm not able to do kind of the, the sell the back of the room, hurry back and buy my stuff. So it's not that one's better or worse. It's, they're both great business models. It's just a different business model with different clients. So there is no one answer to your question of where do people go or where do they start. It depends on what's their message. Do people, is there, what I always tell people is they come to me and they say, I want to speak on X, Y, Z. And I look at them and I say, great, who pays for that? And, and they look no. at me and go, I don't, I don't understand. I go, well, who is speaking on, on that topic or something very similar? And oftentimes they go, well, nobody. That's why it's so great. I'm going to be the first person to ever speak on making dresses out of bedspreads. And I'm like, who pays for that? Well, they should. Well, no, 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 no. that's not the question. If you have to create a budget, you're, going to have a, you're never going to make it. So the question is, who pays for a topic similar to yours? Who's out there doing that? And if there's a market for it, then you can speak on it. So uh, the answer is it depends on the person, what they speak about, what their background is. And then the other thing is you've got to be good. You know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I have, I have a, um, really more of the question was centered on the business itself. We don't have to go down that. That's another thing. It was more the size of the business, not me speaking. But if I'm looking at a business, what is the size of that business that I should be looking at that they're willing to spend when you're looking out there, say, I, I'll pick a vertical, so, so I, e-commerce, and I want to go speak at e-commerce conventions, what, what are the size of the business or what size of the conference do they start and, to pay? Does that And it's all over the map because there's conferences who have thousands of people who their model is we don't pay the speakers. Uh-huh. And so they can have a big conference, but the organizers don't pay the speakers. They get speakers who are there to promote their businesses to go and speak you know, to sell whatever it is they have. So that's the compensation. And I've been brought in at my full fee to groups of 10 people. And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, they, they, they want me to come speak to a sales team. They only have 10 people. And, you know, I'll say, well, usually my fee is, and I'll give them the number, and they'll be like, oh, no problem. That's within our budget. And it's like, what? So you can't prejudge who has the money and who doesn't because it's not just the, the size of the room. You know, it has to do with who the people are. Do they have sponsors? Do the people pay to be there? Is it a company? Is it an association? So there, that's the thing about this business is there's no apples to apples. 
What's it's what's interesting? Really, oh, a whole sorry. bunch of different stuff. Yeah, no, it's just a whole bunch of different buckets. What's, so you you kind of have to learn. What's interesting is I'm hearing 2008, 2009 recession hits. We all know when a recession hits, it just about 10 percent of the people want to spend less money. People don't burn money. Money doesn't disappear. It's just they feel like spending money less because how they're feeling in their mind. Also, network marketing makes a big hit during those times, too, which is very similar to what you're talking about, because we're maybe it's because we're pack animals and we tend to. Hey, times are tough. We go back to find our tribe within our network. And because your model is, I think, is not dead when everyone else thinks it's dead is because you're engaging and interactive and purposeful and you show up at those places, you probably get referrals galore staying in that network right there. You probably get asked, I wouldn't be surprised, at an event for the next event sometimes. Yeah, in fact, if I don't spin off business from speaking, then I worry about if I was any good. So my one of my mentors in the National Speakers Association been doing this for 40 years. He's an older, older, older gentleman than me. I'm an older gentleman, but he's, he's been doing this for like 40 years, and he's done sales training forever. And when I first met him, he asked me a question. I was brand new. I think Mary called it Stars in the Eyes. And I met him in a bar, and we were talking. I was telling him about my topic, what I was doing, how I started the company. And he said, when you come off the stage, what do you want that meeting planner to say to you in the wings of the, of the theater? What do you want him to say to you? And I said, I want him to say it was great, that it was the best speaker of the whole conference, or maybe that they've ever had. And he looked me in the eyes, and he goes, no, you don't. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm not shy. I have an ego. I think that if you're going to be in a business where you're the product, you have to have a little bit of an ego. And he said, no, because he goes, if they say you're good, it doesn't mean anything. And I said, yeah, it does. They wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And he told me something very poignant. He said, Tom, we live in a polite society. He goes, imagine for a minute that you see a speaker and they're just okay. They're not bad. But when they say, in conclusion, you want to applaud, like, yay, we're done. And you, you see him or her speak, and then you go to the cocktail party, and now you're reaching for a piece of shrimp at the cocktail party, and someone else reaches for the same piece of shrimp, and you look over and make eye contact. There's nobody else around, and it's that speaker who was just okay. What do you say to him or her? He said, you look at him and you say, hey, great speech. He said, there's a lot of people out there who think they're great speakers because people tell them when they're done, that was great. Because we live in a polite society where no one's going to reach for the shrimp, look at the speaker and say, wow, you were horribly mediocre today. But you <laughs> didn't suck that much. That's he funny. goes, nobody would say that. And they take the so I've been shrimp. Telling this, <laughs> yeah, I've been telling this story. Take the shrimp from and run. And somebody said to me one time, they go, well, I'm very honest. I would never say great speech unless I thought they were great. I'm like, so what would you say to the speaker? She goes, I would tell him I liked that one part about their sister. And I go, do you know what the speaker hears? Great speech. So everyone who gives a speech thinks they're great because people say great speech. So what my mentor told me was what you want them to say to you is some derivative of the term, what else can you do for me? So if they say, Tom, do you do coaching? Tom, would this speech work for lawyers or would this work for commercial realtors or Tom – could you come into my company and devise a half-day training? Or what was your podcast again? I need to make all my salespeople listen to it. If it, can be, if, if it can be interpreted to what else can you do for me, then you know you were great 
because nobody ever goes up to somebody who is mediocre and says, oh, my God, can I buy you coffee and pick your brain? <laughs> or, or even book you say, yeah, remind me, call the secretary or let's book you for right. next year or something like that, right? Some it, derivative. Exactly. And in fact, I was at an event. In fact, my mentor was one of the other speakers at this event. Coincidentally, we both got hired by the same company and he had never seen me deliver like a full keynote before. And what was great is he came up afterwards and goes, great speech. No, no. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, while he and I were standing together, the client came up to me and said, are you free on such and such a date? We want you to speak at this other conference we're doing. And uh, when the client walked away, my mentor said to me, he goes, that is what else can you do for me when they essentially sign a contract in the hallway. So, yeah, that's, you know, I think you have to be good, but the only way you know you're good is if people are booking you uh, or buying your stuff, whatever your stuff is, after you speak. So do you do, I mean, I'd imagine, I'm going back to your website again, thinking about it anyway, the, I mentioned the three reasons why you'd probably get referrals, right? The engagement, you're doing the networking while you're there, the interactivity, and you're purposeful. But then those, those other two, you're, you're funny. You really are a funny guy. And <laughs> so it's like I'd imagine there's ways like you're, you're talking, you're not selling anything, but as long as you leave that room, I bet you there's people following you trying to get some stuff off you anyway. So you're not selling from the room and you're following their rules, but you're probably still selling some stuff. Yeah, and, and I mean part of it is, is that if, 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 you know, like I have a group coaching program and I don't really talk about it, but people join it. I talk about it on my podcast, but I don't, I don't ever talk about it on the stage. Or maybe I use someone from it as an example. People come up and they go, you know, I'm looking for a career mentor. Do you do coaching? Well, I don't do a lot of one-on-one coaching because it's really expensive to make it worth my time. And the other thing is, is I travel all the time. I, I don't know what my schedule is. But I have this group coaching program that's all around just sort of helping people be attentive to, uh, uh, you know, their own potential and what they're trying to accomplish. I call it the potential mastermind. And it, people do chase me down and say, do you, do, do you do any type of coaching? And I just send them over to that group. So, yes, if you do a good job, there will be other business stuff. And people ask me all the time why I don't grow a coaching program or why I don't grow a whole training company around what I do. And the reality is, is that it's a full-time job. I, I, I spoke, I gave 82 individual speeches last year to about 40 clients. So sometimes at one conference, I'll, I'll be the keynote speaker and I'll do two breakouts or something. But you know, it's a full-time job to have 40 engagements every single year. And I've had at least that many every single year for, you know, most of the last nine years. So, you know, I don't have time to do other stuff. I, the traditional speaker model works for me because I, there's an old Texas saying, and that is if you chase two pigs, you can't catch one. So this is my one pig. I just chase this pig uh, relentlessly. <laughs> That's funny. There's some good sayings. There's some there good... some really good ones. Well, as entrepreneurs, I think we all have multiple pigs that we're trying to chase, and we that's a good thing to remember. Well, it's... Yeah, I mean, I have more than one pig, right? I, I do coaching. I have the books. I have the podcast. But I chase the, the pig. The, the pig I chase is I'm a professional speaker and master of ceremonies. There's my pig. Oh, love it. <laughs> so, Kelly, actually, I'm going to ask a question via Kelly. She was wondering... Okay what your thoughts are on um, if the speaking industry shot themselves in the foot with the whole pay-to-play model. I mean, obviously, you don't, but I think she's asking from the viewpoint of the speaking industry itself. Do do you think they think they did? 
No, I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think the pay-to-play model is a, a shot in the foot. It's a different business model. It's it's not the only business model. Not everybody has gone to uh, you know a speak-to-sell model or a pay-to-play model. So I think some conferences have hurt their brand because what happens is if somebody gets to pay for and uh, be a sponsor and get a keynote spot, the, and I'm assuming that's what she means by that. Uh, the problem is, is that person a good speaker? Well, if the person's not good, if the person's not engaging, if the people don't get excited by what the person on stage is saying, they're not going to come back to the conference next year. Uh, that's the problem with some of these TEDx programs, right? I, I love TED and TEDx, but you know, sometimes they don't vet, some groups don't vet the speakers, and while the person has a great idea, you know, it's an idea worth sharing. If they share it in a way that it sucks and people are like, oh my God, was that 20 minutes or two hours, then they're not going to forward that video. And, you know, so I think that uh, it doesn't matter what the model is. The trick is, is that you've got to vet speakers who can stir stuff up. So this whole term motivational speaker, you guys might be old enough to remember Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Remember the skit? Remember the skit where he was a professional speaker, a motivational speaker? Where did he live? In a van. He was in a van down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was in a van down by the river. Chris Farley did more damage to the world of professional speakers than anybody else because he took the term motivational speaker and made it a farce. And so a lot of people say, oh, we don't want motivational. My boss hates motivational speakers. I actually had a potential client. I don't lead with it like I'm a professional, a motivational speaker, but I don't have a problem with the term. And I had a client ask me, would you call yourself a motivational speaker? And I answered, yes. And she goes, oh, that's such a bummer because I like you. Anyone who says yes, I can't hire for our conference. And oh, I'm like, that's I, I, silly. Well, and I said, way. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. She goes, my boss hates motivational speakers. He wants people who are content speakers. And I said, well, here's my question. I said, what's the opposite of motivation? So I'll ask you guys, what's the opposite of motivation? <laughs> I would say depressing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it's not. I'm just joking. But yeah, I mean. No, I, you're I, right. I'd say depressing. You're, you're right. I mean, the the only word, Mary, do you have a word? What's the opposite of, of motivation? Uh, Bummed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the only word anybody's ever come up with is demotivation or unmotivating. Yeah. And one person told me blah. Another person told me one time, sucks the energy out of the room. So these are the only answers we have. So if you don't want a motivational speaker, people say all the time, oh, I don't like motivational speakers. So you want the opposite? What's the opposite? Well, that's, unmotivating. That's the, the packaging, though, right? I'm sure you're a being able to craft that is super easy for you now. You're just like, no, I, I talk on team building, but I just happen to be motivating, so they want to build the right. team. That, yeah. Well, that's right. But the, but the fact is is that too often people shy away from having motiv- motivation because they think for whatever reason they believe it isn't good. I think motivation is important. But uh, they, they think it isn't good, and then they end up with very blah speakers. So I, I don't know that it's the, the, the pay-to-play model of people paying to be on the stage at, at a conference that, that's hurt it. It's the vetting of quality speakers with experience. So I, I often ask if I know the person I'm up against is, is not really all that experienced, is I say to the meeting planner, how many speeches did they give last year? Because it's a learned skill. You know, I look at, you know, having given more than 300 speakers is my 10,000 hours theory. The reason I believe I'm, I'm decent at my job is because I've done 700 professional level speeches. And one time a meeting planner said, you know, I asked that question. The person said they, they've only given five speeches ever. Whoa. And she didn't hire him. She hired me. She was like that. It scared her when she found out the person for the fee she was paying had given five speeches. She's like, yeah, you know, that, that's the thing. So 
I think any slice of the pie of live events that use any type of you know human beings who speak, it doesn't matter if they're being paid. It doesn't matter if it's just industry people. It doesn't matter if it's just consultants to their industry. If it's if it's people who work for the company, the the vetting is are they good, and and that's what shoots people in the foot is they forget to ask, are you great on the stage and can you prove it? So Wade, I think Wade wants to say something, and then I have a comment afterward. Yeah, well, just uh, going into the are you good and you've been talking about being engaging and talking about you know uh, comp- uh engaging the audience i'm curious about your feedback loop right you've changed your topics over the years obviously you know you've got people giving you this interesting input about don't be motivational or whatever but i'm just curious what is your strategy for getting and utilizing feedback from your audiences so part of it is is that uh, a lot of conferences you speak at, they actually it used to be paper, now it's digital. They ask people to rate the speakers sort of one through five and give comments. They share those with the speakers, and sometimes it's pretty blunt. And part of it is you can't believe everything everybody says because part of it is subjective, right? I could, put, I could put a Jackson Pollock painting up, and Mary could say, oh, my God, it moved me. It's the most spectacular thing. And Richard could say, my five-year-old could splash paint like that. So you have to, first of all, realize some of the critiques you get aren't real. But part of it is, is I watch myself on video, I read the reviews, I ask my clients, and sometimes they'll come back and say, yeah, you were close. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I, I, I ask them for what, what they liked, and then every time I go to a conference, I watch every other speaker. So I don't just speak and run to the airport. I like to sit and watch every keynote for a couple of days. I stay at the conference, and I network with people, and after a few drinks in the bar, they'll tell you what they liked about your speech and what they didn't like about your speech. Uh, when I speak, when I speak at local events where I'm not necessarily being paid like a friend's rotary club, part of the deal is I get to pass out sheets and part of it is what resonated with you. And you read about 300 sheets of the same speech over a couple of months that say what resonated with you and they tell you, you start to know what areas you need to beef up in that, in that presentation. So I'm always doing personal research. So with the ego that it takes to be a speaker, to manage the crowd keep the energy up that they feel you're speaking directly to one person and which is everyone in the audience, you need to carry a little bag with humble pie in it. So you can, Oh always- yeah. So I, yeah. Oh Mary, you're so right. I tell every speaker, some people say, Oh, I've never bombed. And I'm like, okay, so they're either a liar or it's coming because we all have off days. Exactly. And, you know, fortunately I haven't had very many of them, but you have days where the client does not think you delivered. And, and the trick is to, to have, very few ever, but people who say, oh, I, I'm never, I've never had an off day, they're either lying to themselves or a big one is coming, because I've seen it happen to some of the best speakers I know. I mean, people who are paid $25,000 a speech plus, I've seen them have to have the humble pie shoved in their face, and, you know, it, it's hard for all of us when that happens, but it is definitely, you know, you have, to, you have to have a little bit of a thick skin, because sometimes people come after you, even if you're not a celebrity, I'm not famous. But you're famous to that audience for that day, and so sometimes people are really harsh on you. They're critical. You have to let it water off the duck's back and, and realize that most of the comments of the 100 sheets that came in, 90% said best speaker of the conference. One guy said, I didn't like him. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to admit, you know, I go to a bar and talk to people. You know, not everybody likes me. I was in a fraternity in college. I, I went to college in San Diego uh, where you guys live. And, you know, I, I had a good time. I had a lot of friends, but not everybody in my fraternity liked me. I'm sure if you pulled all my fraternity brothers together, there were a few who said, yeah, he's a jerk. You know, that's okay. They don't, not everybody has to like me. We, uh, we have actually a couple 
more questions, but I wanted to just close the loop on one thing you were talking about earlier when you were making that transition from selling to networking, selling that you were selling networking speeches, basically, to um, no one wanted to do that. Is that when you changed it over to team building, kind of getting more out of your team and still kind of the same speech, but how they could network with each other? Or how did that, how, how can we close that part of what you were talking about there? Well, so I, for seven years, I talked about this whole idea of your network and your brand and connecting with people in a gadget crazy world. But, you know, part of it is you can't do the same thing forever, right? You have to have new material. First of all, by having new material, I'm able to go back to all the clients, you know, the hundreds of clients I've had the last few years, many of which liked me, and it's been three or four years since they've had me. They could have me come in with a new topic. So part of it was it was just time for me to come up with a new topic. The other thing was is I, I took a little creative time a couple of years ago and tried to write a one-man show. I'd wanted to be an actor as a kid and never pursued it. And the, the theme of the one-man show was it was my own childhood imaginary friend was coming back into my life when I was 50, and he was pissed that I hadn't lived up to all my potential. And I started to make the play have some legitimacy. I started doing some research on, like, human potential and what we're like as kids versus adults. And as I was talking to friends about it, this whole idea of performance and not reaching your potential and this gap between potential and results was resonating with everybody. And people started saying, that should be one of your speeches. That shouldn't be a play. That should be your thing. You know? And so I came up with the term, the paradox of potential, and all of a sudden, clients were like, yes, we want that. So that's nice. sort of where it came from. The, the, was... the, the marketplace told me it was time for some new stuff, and the new stuff just appeared. Well, I got two answers to that. One, that's an awesome twist at the end there that took to that. But secondarily, I'll, I'll not necessarily challenge because I want to do it with you. Like, I'll do a one-man mm-hmm. show. I was literally at Guitar Center yesterday looking at pedals and different stuff, although don't tell Pitbull Audio because they're one of our other clients. Um, <laughs> but just to look for a guitar pedal to do, like, loops and do stuff where you can do acting and then go off, do some speaking, play some music. Like, so if you want to do it, you get the best of both worlds. You, you got your well, paradox of <laughs> and do the one-man show. I'll, yeah, I'll I show up. Killed the one, I, I haven't killed the one-man show, man. I... Uh, I did a, a, a read-through for a bunch of friends, and they all said I was on the right track, and I got a lot of feedback. But it's taken me about a year to sort of digest where that feedback is. So it's probably time I, I rewrite the show. One, one of my goals was to rent a theater and do it for a couple hundred people at least once. So it's, it's, not, a dead, it's not a dead project, but from that project spun out all this new business. So that's the other thing is, is you never know where inspiration is going to come from and where all of a sudden you, you go down one path and it opens up a ton of other doors. Oh, yeah. Nice. You can plan 24 hours for tomorrow, and it's never going to quite work out that way, right? (laughs) Well, and it is cool that in that creative space, you just by whatever it is, osmosis, we become more creative and have more ideas. And so it's awesome. So anyone listening to this, Tom, and want to get out there, they have a great topic, they feel they maybe have some experience. What are the speaker tools today? Um, back in the day, it was, you know, basic one sheet. And then what steps would you suggest they take? Um, finding their industry, of course, but then door knocking, uh, calling people. And one, yes, one, one yes. small caveat, one small caveat. You got three minutes. Okay. And also, if you're going to talk about social or any of that stuff, tell what's going on and where people can work with you at the end of this. Just keep in mind you're a speaker and two minutes and 35, no, 245. Go. All right, I can, <laughs> I can do that. 
So I think I, I think you're right. It used to be sort of a one sheet and and stuff like that. I think I think it's a couple things. I still believe in the old the old old like forty year old saying: you got to speak for free before you speak for fee. Get out there and get the feedback and know that you're good. So you know, talk to your friends who are in Rotary clubs and Young Men's Business League and Young Women's Alliance and all those different things and 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 have a speech that'll work and, and go and do it everywhere you can. And if you're good, people will come up and say, what else can you do for me? And if they're not saying that, go get better at it. Join a Toastmasters club. Work on your craft. So I think the first thing is, is you've got to be speaking. You've got to be doing it. Because I still, to this day, almost a decade later, 90% of my business comes from people seeing me speak and referring me to somebody else. And that's, I mean, I can do social media. I can do advertising. I can do all that. The other thing is you have to have a good website. I mean, mine's good. I want to have a great website. So that's, that's the next thing I'm taking on. And then you have to have a great video. My video's good. Right now I'm actually producing, right now, and be done in about four or five weeks, a great video. I hired someone who is going to make it great. But you've you got to have a website and a video, and you've got to be out there speaking. Because, again, one of the things, the reason I speak so much is that that's part of my selling tools. I tell people, yes, I gave 80 speeches last year. Well, that, that's a good thing. You know, uh, you don't get to give that many speeches if you suck. So, and... And I think everybody knows that. So uh, I, I think those are the things you have to do. You have to have the video. You have to have the website. You have to be out there doing it. And then you have to tell people you're, you're, a, you're a speaker, and you can't be, oh, I'm a speaker and I'm a coach. And I'm, I call it a comma speaker. I'm a speaker, comma. I'm a consultant, comma. I'm a coach, comma. I have a full-time job selling real estate, comma. I mean, <laughs> when my business took off is when I got laid off and I had no income, and I just told everybody I'm a professional speaker and I'm looking for gigs. And I already had a reputation of being good, and, you know, it was a slow move, but it moved. So um, that's, that's my answer. Okay, we have less, about 30 seconds left. Are you familiar with Mark LeBlanc? Oh, of course. Okay, he's a really good friend of mine. and um, awesome. I've been to his, his Achiever Circle. Did you go to his Achiever Circle before? I did. I went to the one in Minneapolis. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been to several of them. But his big thing is showcase. He does a yep. showcase probably three times a month, and that's how he gets bookings as well. So yep. he's a wonderful model, smallbusinesssuccess.com. Well, Tom, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the new media yes. summit. Thank you so much for having me. I, I think reinvention radio is awesome. I, I, I like it. I like the name. I, I think you guys do a good job of interviewing and, and hopefully somebody heard this and, and found some value. In it. Oh, of course. Absolutely. All right. You've been listening to reinvention radio. We'll be right back. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. You were born to do one amazing thing, but most people spend a lifetime trying to identify what it is. If you're in a job you don't like or are unemployed, if you're in a state of transition or just can't shake that nagging feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, then the Reinvention Workshop is exactly what you need. Led by award-winning self-help author Steve Olsher, the Reinvention Workshop will forever change your life. The Reinvention Workshop takes you step-by-step through Steve's proven formula that has helped so many people get on the right path and clear about what they were born to do. Take the first step to realizing the life you deserve and desire by visiting thereinventionworkshop.com today. No more delays. No more denial. Reconnect with your true self. Learn to live with purpose and conviction and become who you were born to be. The world is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Log on to thereinventionworkshop.com today. That's thereinventionworkshop.com.